next to the party. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co hosts from the East Coast are up to this week. First, Dave the Alcadron Vader. How's it going? It's going really, really well. I had, I've, I've mentioned the idea of Other Worlds on the show before, yes? Yes. Other World mm-hmm. is like one of my favorite things that happened. It's filled with like mostly my favorite people in the world. There was a little miniature Other World event last weekend that I got to attend. I got to spend some time with them. Uh, it was really. Yeah, your uh, Cabin in the Woods weekend. Yep. yep. Went, spent the weekend in a Cabin in the Woods in Connecticut. Uh, February, not an ideal time for Cabin in the Woodsing, but the weather, <laughs> weather was actually really nice. I got to, you know, wander around outside, got to enjoy the, the beautiful winter wildlife got to see some people it was magnificent i good i am I'm, I'm envious we've had a little bit of early spring down here but nothing like that i didn't get the wilderness experience but i'm glad you had a good time so, sounds like fun yeah all right next up we got our resident pdh phd liam did you also escape to a cabin in the woods uh i did not escape to a cabin in the woods i instead escaped onto my laptop where i was doing work for my <laughs> graduate program all week like I'll be doing for, so Dave disconnected and you like super connected. Yeah, you picked up the slack. Like I like I I was I was super connected and we'll be picking up the slack for Dave from now until May. You're welcome. Go to the cabin <laughs> every weekend. <laughs> there you go. Open invitation to just leave every weekend. Good times. Good times. How, well, we're gonna move on to the main topic. Oh wait, what? how was your week? Oh, it was good. It was quite good. The weather has been very nice. Uh, work has steadied out since the like beginning of the year chaos that it always is outside of i'm bringing on a couple new employees so i have to worry about work and training people at the same time Mm. but i think really outside of that it's just been sort of um par for the course around here had some good streams this week and work and family stuff so it was good we uh i don't know what y'all did for valentine's day but we just we made a little dinner and watched two or three movies and went to bed that's that's how uh old people celebrate valentine's (laughs) day (laughs) yes so that's extremely correct they were good movies but can't remember what we watched now they weren't anything new we didn't like rent them or anything we just uh my son is now old enough that he's heard enough about stranger things that he's really interested in watching it my wife loves the program she but she only watched the first two seasons and then we dumped netflix for some reason so on top of the movies we watched we also re-signed up for netflix basically so they could like binge stranger things and then we may just dump it again we're not sure yet but yeah we ended up finding some movies on netflix and sort of hung out sure that was it i love it yep. yeah that was a good time good time, my, good time. My, we don't go super far out for like romantic holidays or anything my wife and i used to watch uh chocolat for valentine's day we haven't done it in a while oh that's a good one i have not seen that movie in forever it's really good i can't remember what the first movie we watched was <laughs> then we watched some woody woody harrelson and Kevin Hart movie it was pretty funny. It was a little long. It was a little like drawn out, but it was entertaining. I'm a big Woody fan. He's really good. Yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Well, this is not the uh, 
the movie review show. So let's move on to a little bit of housekeeping before we get to the main topic. If you like the show and you like what we're doing here, you like what you're listening to, then check us out over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. Over there, you get the pre-show, which is usually a recording of us catching up for the week, as Liam likes to call it. It's like a second podcast every week, and and this week it kind of was. I think we went over an hour, so we'll see what it ends up being after I edit it a little bit. But it's a good conversation today. Uh, you also get early access to the episode before it goes live, usually the night before. You also get access to the PDH Pod Discord, where you can chat with the crew, you can get help with your decks, chat with the other patron family members, all that kind of good stuff. And check out our YouTube channel. We are not the greatest at creating content, but we had a pretty decent conversation about that in the pre-show. And I think we have some plans for some upcoming content, so should be good stuff. And then you can always check out the streams on Saturdays and Mondays at uh, twitch.tv slash the PDH pod. And I think that covers the content and the Patreon. Liam, do you got anything for this week in magic? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of things and they're all uh, generally speaking, pretty unrelated. Um, the first one is <laughs> if you are not very active on the magic socials, uh, first of all, lucky you. Uh, second of all, uh, there are now magic branded hot pockets. Yes, yes, those Hot Pockets. Uh, <laughs> and in the Pals Discord this week, which you should be a part of, there was a, a hilarious yes. joke shared by Drixis, uh, which was Flame Rift on the inside, Glacial Wall on the outside. And if you've ever had a Hot Pocket, you know exactly <laughs> what they are talking about. Um, that is 100% the description. Yes, uh, and I, I, I really just wanted to share that pun with everyone. Um, the second thing is... The you know in in case the thousand dollars for sixty proxies didn't rub you the wrong way, Magic the Gathering has uh, collaborated with Lovesack, a company that produces bean bags, uh, to create a thousand dollar Magic the Gathering bean bag. Uh, it also does come with a uh, Phyrexia All We One set booster box. Uh, but considering that Lovesack uh, bean bags tend to go for a couple hundred, and by a couple hundred I mean pretty close to the six to eight hundred dollar range anyway, that's not really a savings. So in case the $1,000 sexy proxies didn't rub you the wrong way, here is Magic Gathering celebrating their 30th anniversary with another $1,000 product. And finally... Another $1,000 bag of beans. Yeah. And finally, uh, those step and complete foils that Wizards was so excited to share with us, uh, showing us how they're finally kind of following in the footsteps of uh, old grandpa Pokemon. Turns mm. out the foiling for the step and complete foils literally rubs off the card. Talking about quality control foils. I had not... I had not heard of this until you typed it in the show notes. Yeah, so apparently the, that is the step and complete treatment is an extra layer of treatment that gets applied over top of a foil card. So now which one is the one with the little Phyrexian symbols all that's over? That's the step and complete foil. Oh, that's the step and complete. Yeah, okay. so the, they're not two different things. Nope. It's it's some kind of like dance or music joke. I'm not entirely sure it's something not from my generation, but it's it's <laughs> it's step in something is the joke, but it's step in complete is what the, the foiling process is called. There were people who were complaining that they felt a little thicker than normal cards, uh, and with people just messing around with them, they found that the Phyrexian symbols actually rub off the card, and you're just left with a regular foil. Uh, and I think the oh the God. only way to tell them apart from regular foils at that point is the collector numbers, because step and complete cards get a different collector number. Yeah, because they are technically a different printing. Yes. Uh, so that's fun and interesting. <laughs> that is certainly fun. <laughs> Thanks, Watsy, for yeah. all the fun. I've never heard of that being a problem with the various Pokemon treatments. I've never heard of, uh -uh. of, of the foils literally just rubbing off the card. Yeah. So, now, is it the like the whole 
the whole foiling is rubbing no, off or the, the phyrexian it's symbols? It's just the phyrexian symbol. The, the, the regular foiling stays on the card. It's just the phyrexian symbol that rubs off. Oh, my off. God. Yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's wild. <laughs> oh, I'd be so mad if I paid $80 for an Elish Norn and I'm just <laughs> sitting there with a handful of phyrexian symbols. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, God. Oh, that's terrible. All right. Well. I think with that out of the way, we can move on to the main topic here. A few episodes ago, we talked about how to properly build a mana base for your beloved Pauper Commander deck. But now we're going to present to you the PDH Pod's guide to how to get that mana working for you, hopefully faster than your opponent's mana is working for them. So we're just going to kind of talk about mana acceleration in the format. Where it comes from, how do we use it, what cards provide the the acceleration. It, we're even going to break it down by color a little bit too. So we've got all kinds of examples and that sort of thing. And I was looking into this topic online a little bit before the show this afternoon. And it occurred to me that, I guess I didn't do it, but maybe it wasn't a conscious decision. But a lot of people use the term ramp or ramping and mana acceleration sort of interchangeably. I always sort of assumed they were different but maybe that's just me but we'll get into all that kind of stuff what about you dave are, are they interchangeable for you too no uh i mean yes sorry i thought you were asking if they meant something different from each other uh yes right. they are completely interchangeable for me i i use the word ramp and i use the word man acceleration as like basically the exact same thing okay cool 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 as i was so like that's that's the answer I wrote down when we made the show notes. And then as I thought more about it, I thought there's there's one weird corner case that to me feels more like acceleration is a better description than ramp. And mm-hmm. that one weird corner case is in burst mana. It feels okay. weird for me to describe Dark Ritual as ramp, but I will readily concede that to me it feels like mana acceleration. But we're going to talk more about that later, so I'll, I'll just leave you with that for now. Mostly overwhelmingly i feel like they're the same thing okay yeah and i think like the more i actually do think about it i don't often use the term mana acceleration so maybe just like subconsciously i've always sort of used them interchangeably but i've only ever said the word ramp to where i've you know and i've thought about mana acceleration but i've vocalized ramp sort of thing so Mm -hmm. uh, maybe i have used them interchangeably i just i saw a couple it may not even been a couple it may have been, been literally just like one article online where they tried to separate the two with a hard line saying ramp is instants and sorceries that put lands into play and mana acceleration are permanents on the battlefield that tap for mana. Like those are the two differences. Like they're not the same thing. And so it, it just got me thinking about how often people use those words to mean the same thing. That's all. And I was just kind of curious if you did the same or if that was actually a thing or if it's all part of the same little thing. That is, that is a thing that I've never heard of before right now. <laughs> maybe i made it up who knows could be it's very it's very possible I, I would be ready to believe that people on the internet made it up yeah it is the internet yeah, or maybe that's all. like legitimately how they and their group categorize these things but then if, if you are the person if you're listening and you're the person that made that distinction like i just want you to know that you're wrong and you should feel bad and sign up for the patreon exactly I will. I will give Dave a dollar for telling you you're wrong. I will. I will very <laughs> happily co- correct more of your incorrect takes. Yes. Yep. For money on the uh, pre-show that only you pay, get. Yep. Pay me, and I'll help you out. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. All right. I think though, before we get into the uh, nuts and bolts of specific colors, specific cards, that sort of thing, we have different types of ramp, don't we, Liam? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, so the types of ramp that we want to talk about, uh, I'll just go over them all really quickly. 
Uh, they fall into general categories. Uh, that would be fetching, rocks, land auras, uh, kind of combined with the land untappers, cost reducers, burst mana, and scatilla. Yes, scatilla gets its own category. I love it. Uh, going back up to our first category with fetching, uh, this is simply pulling a land out of your deck and putting it into play. Green is where you will most commonly find this with sorceries like Rampant Growth and, and Cultivate. Uh, there's also a couple instants uh, hanging around, but in generally, it's it, generally speaking, it's going to be uh, sorcery speed. You will also find this with a couple of our favorite creatures like Steve, uh, otherwise known as Sakura Tribe Elder, and with certain enchantments like Font of Fertility. So yeah, so that's that's generally speaking fetching in in pdh the next type of ramp is mana rocks uh this is very frequently going to be uh artifacts mainly non-creature artifacts but there are a couple of creatures that do hang around but they tend to more commonly be associated with mana dorks these artifacts are going to be these mana rocks these artifacts are going to be things that tap to add mana some of these are pretty ubiquitous they're pretty common that's going to be bonders ornament arcane signet network terminal uh and honored heirloom uh some of them are pretty neat niche uh it's going to be like altar of the pantheon for your demigod decks uh the border posts for certain artifact based decks that uh might like that might prefer them spring leaf drum uh for your decks that are including things like scatella or commanders that just want to become tapped mm-hmm. next up we have land auras and land untappers uh, that's going to be wild growth and utopia sprawl just by themselves of great land auras uh when you combine with the land untappers like voyaging Seda, you get into even more land auras like overgrowth that when combined with these land untappers just produce a bunch of mana uh next up we have our cost reducers this is going to be stuff like transcendent envoy starnheim corsa foundry inspector theme sculptor electromancer anarchomancer uh and just just continuing on all the all the stuff that reads along the lines of x type of spell gets uh, costs one less to cast these are fairly common to find in a lot of decks this is Again, mana acceleration because you are saving cost. My my important thing that I want to uh, mention with these is a lot of people will tell you the value of a mana rock is does it stick around long enough to replace the amount of mana it spent to cast, which makes sense. That's a very good point. But mana rocks also produce mana, and even if they only produce one mana, they produced a mana on a later turn. With these cost reducers, I find it very important to be using them immediately so you like drop it before mm-hmm. you play a spell of that type, whether it's an artifact or enchantment or, or a red spell or whatever. Like immediately. Yeah, you, you don't want to like wait till your next turn wanna, to be using that Exactly, because the creatures, they tend to be a little squishy. You don't want, and some of them are multiple <laughs> types, like artifact creatures. So they tend to be you know a little more squishy or breakable. You, right. you don't want to chance losing them and just wasting that mana, especially because they tend to be a lo- little light on stats. So you want to use them right away. But I find they kind of follow that same rule. Like, you want to use them enough that the amount of mana they reduced is at least the amount of mana they cost. And they tend to be pretty efficiently costed at two or three mana that you don't really have to worry about that. It's the ones that cost four or five that I begin to worry about their inclusion. That's just something I want to note yeah, about too. them. Yeah, too. And then you've. But yeah. You've also got the entire uh, plane shift familiar cycle, too, that, that reduces exactly. two different colors. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The familiars. Oh, I forgot so about So good. They're so good. Yeah. Next up, we have. I play those more often than I should. <laughs> uh, next up, we have our burst mana. Uh, this is going to be stuff that looks like ritual uh, or even uh, not quite mana rocks, but they kind of look like mana rocks. So, uh, dark ritual in black. Uh, Red actually has a handful of rituals like pyretic and the one that cares about your goblins. And they help me out. What's what's the one we're talking about? 
Mana Geyser? Yes, Mana Geyser. Seething Song? Mana Geyser. Mana Geyser. Yeah, yeah. There you go. But yeah, so so those your, your rituals are boast mana. When it comes to things that look like rocks, that could be Lotus Petal or a Pentad Prism, these things tend to either require you to sacrifice themselves or cost mana to produce extra mana. These things are okay, but in general, you're gonna you're gonna want to be a deck that cares about every part of the card, such as like it being an artifact and sacrificing itself. Yeah, exactly. And these these tend to get categorized more closely to acceleration than than ramp. But it's it's important to note that these are tend to be tend to be a little bit worse on the acceleration outside of uh, very specific circumstances where you want these cards because they produce a lot of mana really fast. And while that sounds really good, the problem is the decks that want to produce a lot of mana really fast have a bunch of outlets to use them. If your deck only has one or two outlets, or it's like, yeah, it'd be nice to produce mana and you produce like 10 and use four of it, like that was not an effective use of that card. Yeah, and I think with the with some of the new proliferate stuff we've got, maybe Pentad Prism will see a, a tiny bit more play. Yeah, but yeah. For for me, the question isn't about can you use this mana effectively. For me, the question is, is it worth spending an entire card from your hand to get that mana? Because like you know, if you're looking at Seething Song, right? Like you spend three mana, mm-hmm. you get five. Like it costs less than it produces and that seems like a a huge value but like you have to remember that it costs a card from your hand Mm -hmm. and like so you're 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 spending a card from your hand for two red mana like in in edh it's super easy to refill your hand like if you if you see the song into the wheel of fortune like you losing a card there doesn't matter or like (laughs) you you playing your rishkar's expertise to draw 15 cards like whatever like you can replace the card, it's not a big deal, and like that makes those cards a lot more valuable. Things like you know Lotus Petal, like things things that just you're spending a card for the mana. Those are super valuable in formats where you can refill your hand, and Pauper DH is not that format. Like you you can put you can find a home for these cards if if the mana you're generating is just truly like utterly colossal like mana geyser is usually spend five mana get like 16 and like yeah i'll i'll spend a card for my hand to get 11 free mana yeah i'll do it yeah because basically that that one spell is going to kill an opponent right like or it's going to be used towards killing at least one opponent yeah there's like the things you can do with 16 mana are a lot more than things you can do with five (laughs) so like yeah if your mana geyser kind of gets the pass for being like just absurdly efficient with this seething song like you have to find the a really really good fit for seething song in order to be able to run it profitably i have it yeah. in sir Kara because sir Kara, when when she gets online you're like cards the number of cards you're spending doesn't matter like when she, when you start hitting the dragon's approaches or the sizzles or the you know end the festivities like doesn't matter you're spending cards like you're effectively you're impulse drawing three and one of those yep, is going to hit all your time. players again, and you're going to impulse draw three more off that. And like, at the end of the turn, you're going to run out of mana long before you run out of cards. And like, Seething Song, you know, it, at that point, it doesn't really cost a card from your hand. It costs a card from one of these eight cards that's going to get exiled at the end of turn, and you're going to lose forever. So it costs nothing. Right. In the, at, at that point, it's just free mana. So yep. like, Kara can get away with the, the Seething Song, the Lotus Petal stuff. I think I have Seething Song in Third Path Iconoclast just because I need the storm count up. I need mana to keep doing what I'm trying to do. Yeah, yeah, you can make a case so. for it in Iconoclast. 
I have a weird subset of the burst mana cards in Viachino's Slaughter Master. That's just a weird. So deck. like, <laughs> it's a really weird. Like, I don't run Seething Song. I don't run Pyretic Ritual or even Dark Ritual. Like, I think that the four cards I run are Simeon Spirit Guide, Rite of Flame, Tinder Wall, and yeah. Lotus Petal. Because those are the four cards that can power out the Slaughter Master on turn one mm-hmm. and. It's possible for a turn one kill if I have two of those in hand and a couple other key cards. But mostly, like, if I if I can get the Slaughtermaster turn one, then the turn two kill becomes really kind of effortless. So, like, those four in the Slaughtermaster deck d- do work, but, like, I don't run any of the others. So... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm gonna stop rambling. I'm just gonna leave you with like, you have to because it costs a card. You have to be very, very conservative about which decks you're putting them into because they're a lot worse than they seem. Yeah. yeah, it's very easy to get distracted by the picture in the text box that shows five red mana symbols. Right. Like, oh my goodness, right. look at what I get. But yeah, you're right. They have to have homes. Yeah. If Seething Song added five red mana and drew, drew me a card, I would play it in more decks. Oh, solid. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a great card. Right? <laughs> Why doesn't Seething Song cantrip? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Can't imagine. Hmm. Uh, so Skirtula will let you get lands that you've cycled away already or lands that you've looted into your yard from uh, other card draw effects or even lands that your opponents milled for you. You know, those those evil, evil opponents who are trying to stop you from winning the game. <laughs> Skirtula will also hit lands that let you fetch for other lands like Evolving Wilds or Tamorphic Expanse. Skatilla, a Maestro's Theater, every turn gets you a basic and some life, you know? So, yeah. So, uh, play Skatilla. Pals will like you. Alk will like you. Jury will... They will be your friends, thank you. for sure. Uh, Skatilla is its own type of ramp, its own type of acceleration, just like it has its own land packet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's nice that we have a, a creature that fits into a land package and a ramp package. So good. Is so good. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that is uh, that is some good stuff that is ramp. Like, we got a little bit of everything. We got some auras, some rocks, some cost reducers, yeah. uh, some instants and sorceries. We, we got a little bit of the uh, whole spectrum of what, what the game has to offer, which is understandable. I mean, the commons fit into every single set, every limited environment. But there's bound to be things that are not ramp. And I think Dave has a list of those. What do you got for us? I would love to tell you about things that are categorically not ramp i see a lot of people put mm-hmm. some of these cards into their like ramp package in their decks like in the in the ramp like section and then they say ah mm-hmm. i have like seven ramp cards i'm like no you don't you have three ramp cards and like four cards that don't ramp <laughs> so i'm going to tell you what those are there's a there's a bunch of cards that will so we, we talked about a, a kind of ramp is fetching where you search your deck for a certain land and you put it into play that's ramp that accelerates you that increases your land count there's a bunch of cards that will pull a land out of your deck and put it into your hand. Mm-hmm. Things like Horizon Spellbomb, uh, Gate Creeper Vine. There's the the new one in One Phyrexia that either does that or proliferates something roots. So yeah, I forgot I forgot the name of it. The one one mana green sorcery. Either get a land out of your deck, put it in your hand, or proliferate. Yeah. Um. um uh, Carnivorous Canopy. No, that's the disenchant. Let me see if I can find the, this. The ramp. Um, uh, okay. Oh, it's the one that I didn't like. That uh, that Brad liked. Yeah. Um, the hung, hungry roots, thirsty roots, something like that. Some, I don't know. Some thirsting roots. Thirsting, thirsting roots. Okay. Choose one. Thirsting, thirsting roots. Search for a basic land card, put it in your hand, or proliferate. Yeah. Single green mana. Yep. Thirsting roots, 
Horizon Spellbomb, Gate Creeper Vine. These cards are going to put lands into your hand. They are not going to put lands into play. Uh, these cards are fantastic for fixing. They will not ramp you. So those aren't ramp. Mm -hmm. There's a category of rocks that do the same thing, where they don't increase the amount of mana you have. They just change the, the colors that you have access to with your mana. Prophetic Prism is not a ramp spell. It's just fixing. Arkham's Astrolabe, great card, not ramp. Yeah, Chromatic, almost busted. It's a good card. Incredible card, not ramp. Chromatic Star, <laughs> not ramp. Those, All of those things are just still just fixing. There is a category of cards. These are sort of like adjacent to mana dorks. It's a category of cards. Of, these are like creatures that you can tap to put an extra land into play from your hand. And this mm -hmm. feels a lot like fetching because it's a it's a land that you're putting into play. It's not coming from your deck. It's coming from your hand. And like, I really hesitate to call that ramp. The reason that I'm hesitant about that is that like it's pretty easy to imagine a situation in which you know you play the Llanowar Scout on turn two, and then on turn three you make your land drop, and then you tap it for another land drop, and now you're at four. And on your fourth turn. You miss your land drop, and you're you're at four, and your land or scout does nothing. Like, <laughs> if you find yourself in this situation, like you haven't actually ramped yourself really. It functions more like burst mana. It's like sure you had four mana on turn three, but then you had four mana on turn four as well. Like it's it's more like a little pyretic ritual thing that you did on turn three, and then <laughs> like right. In, right. So yeah, I I think that. It is possible for these cards to function as ramp-ish cards only if you are consistently hitting every land drop. I've got a Sivris deck. Sivris is the, the Baldur's Gate commander that um, taps where you, for each opponent you mill a card and then the opponent will choose whether that card stays in your graveyard or gets put in your hand. Yep. Opponents will always choose to put lands into your hand. You will... Oh, 100% of the time. You will consistently have eight lands in your hand all the time. This deck is never, ever missing a land drop. So if you can stick a walking atlas, you're going to get a second land drop every turn. And that's mm -hmm. going to ramp you nonstop. So sometimes these cards can be ramped. A lot of the times, unless your deck is like very specifically designed to just constantly have lands in its hands all the time, then these aren't really ramping you. They're just they're they're more like burst mana than than actual ramp. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sure. caution you against those sort of as a general rule. Uh, those are the things that I would say are not ramp. I'm I'm vaguely sort of tossing burst mana in here as like, I'm, yeah, it feels weird to say. These are like burst mana. That's not <laughs> ramp when Liam just said burst mana is a kind of ramp. Uh, it is kind of not reliable ramp. It's, again, much like burst mana. You need to have a deck that's very specifically tailored to, to want to do these things and to profit from doing these things. So Yeah, like, like you kind of said, Astrolabe, Chromatic Star, Prophetic Prism, those are all amazing mana rocks. They're all amazing mana fixing. Yes. But I don't play very many of them. Yeah. Hardly at all. I don't even know if I have Perfect Prism in a deck. I have two decks that have Astrolabe and maybe two decks that have Chromatic Star. But those decks care about artifacts and or artifacts going to the graveyard. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Less about the fixing. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. 
they're really good for what they do, but they're just not... Like you're using Astrolabe as a cantrip. You're using Chromatic Star for Affinity or a cantrip. You're using Prophetic Prism as a cantrip that you can flicker. Like you're rarely using them to fix your mana. Exactly, <laughs> yep. So I, I don't even hardly consider them mana. Like their mana ability is like third on the list of what they can provide to a deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I agree. So yeah, we don't have a ton that aren't ramp, but I think what we have are things that folks can get confused with. Like they sort of rely on these things to be ramp. And when they don't work out, they get frustrated because I know I've been there before. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to understand what, what it's doing. Kind of like what you said, what the deck wants it to do and what it's doing in the deck itself. Yeah. So, but I think now that we kind of have, Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just going to agree with what you said. Like make sure that you are being very intentional about these decisions. Like I'm not, I'm not That's saying a good way to put it. don't run walking Atlas. I'm saying, make sure you have a really good reason to play walking Atlas. I'm not saying right. I'm not saying Astrolabe is a bad card. I'm saying make sure you have a reason, a, a good reason to run Astrolabe. Yeah, right. And when those reasons are good, those cards are very good. Yes, you will be paid off for using them. Yes, yeah. I, I so. I'm going to categorize the scene, these the same as like you know faithless looting. Like faithless looting, tremendous card. It is really bad in a generic red deck. Like you have to be very yeah, it is not value. <laughs> you have to be very intentional about where you're putting faithless looting if you want to get value out of it. That's a very good analogy. Like they are very much like faithless looting. They on the surface you're like, heck yeah, this is nothing but super sweet value. Yeah. And then you play it and you're like, holy crap! I have, what else can I put in this? You know, in this slot. I've I've seen so many people just like mindlessly jam faithless looting into their red decks because like it <laughs> it, it contains the word draw two cards and it's banned in like modern and, it, <laughs> and that means that means it's like a monster powerhouse of a card and they're, they're playing yep, it in like this busted. sort of like you know generic gruel stompy deck and they're like why does why does my hand so much smaller after i faithless looting and i was like buddy like, <laughs> that's what it does <laughs> like, where's the arrogant worm where's the blood mad vampire like you're, yeah, come on you're now. not doing nothing with you're just faithless. throwing cards away yeah what's like, going on maybe if i flash it back it'll be no stop <laughs> that won't help you <laughs> Hold on, man. I'm working on something. I got it. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> what you got is helping. Oh. <laughs> 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 you just you just help it yourself, buddy. This this is not this yeah, is not awful. the droids you think they are. <laughs> like, We're gonna keep playing PDH over here. You just you just hang out and do nothing. Yeah. But yeah, that is actually a really good analogy for those cards. That's a good one. Yeah. What you got is helping. Right, well. <laughs> What you got is helping. That's yep. great. That's a that's a uh, that's a sticker, a bumper sticker, or something like that. <laughs> uh, all right. So we got some types of ramp. We got some types of anti ramp. I think we're gonna break it down, kind of go through the colors and see how each individual slice of the color pie mm, contributes to mana acceleration. What do you think, Liam? You want to start us off with with uh, the white slice? Uh, yeah, sure. So the white slice of the pie is actually probably the most straightforward. The white slice really relies on a lot of the uh, what my co-hosts have called cost reducers and what I am calling cast reductors because I can. So these cast <laughs> because I'm a judge and I can do that because I'm allowed to. So these casting reductors tend to be where white gets most of its its ramp or acceleration from. Uh, outside of those, you're looking at mana rocks, which tend to be colorless and go into any deck, and I feel like that's kind of like the cheap uh, response, the, the quick answer. 
Mm -hmm. If you feel like doing white things, Core Cartographer and or Scouting Hawk are pretty good. Those do white things really well because they do planes things really well. But outside of outside of doing white things to flicker creatures that search for planes, you're looking at mana rocks or cast reductors. Yep. It's pretty straightforward, pretty easy. And I think that's really about it. Yeah. Yeah, ramping is not well, not something white is known for. Uh, it is it is not known for many things, Brad. You're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. True, true, uh, true. Brownie, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, Dave, why don't you tell us about the, the blue cards? I would be what delighted to tell do? you about blue cards. Um, blue is largely kind of similar-ish in that if you're, if you're in mono blue or blue X and you want to do a lot of ramping, you're probably going to just end up using a lot of rocks. But there are a couple other weird options that we need to talk about. They're, they're pretty niche, but they're there. Mm -hmm. uh, blue has an entire suite of mana dorks. Uh, some some of them will tap to add colorless mana. Things like Apprentice Wizard, I think is wait is Apprentice Wizard? Did I ever try common printing? Apprentice Wizard. Yeah. I shall check you. Like I associate Apprentice Wizard with like the the quintessential. Yeah, it's been common. Yeah, Apprentice Wizard. Oh yeah, Double Masters Fourth Edition. Fourth yeah. Edition. Good. Yeah. I, yeah. This is one of my first cards I ever owned. Yeah. So Apprentice Wizard is a three mana zero one that lets you pay a blue and tap it to add three generic or yeah three generic mana yeah three colorless mana to your pool so mm -hmm. it's kind of like a really bad ergolem's eye but i mean it's an ergolem's eye that only costs three it's cheaper than ergolem's eye or sisay's ring um so True. some of these some of these blue mana producers are just like sort of like weird wizards that will add a lot of colorless mana a lot of the wizards that add mana a lot of blues mana dorks will put weird restrictions on how you're allowed to spend that mana. Some will say, like, you're, yeah. you're only allowed to use it on instants or sorceries. A lot of them are, like, sort of keyed into the set mechanic. Like, I remember one in Call Time that you're only allowed to spend this mana on instant sorceries or foretold cards. <laughs> you're like, okay. I, it's I, very specific. I get it. Like, I get the gimmick. <laughs> this is for the foretold yeah. deck. Like, you know, you're only what allowed to one... spend this... Hmm? What, what about the one from Innistrad 3 that gives you instant sorceries or disturb cards? Yeah, yeah, instance or sorceries or disturb cards. Yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> we have we have a lot of these. Every every time there's a new like alternate casting cost, we get a little blue wizard that can pay for instance or sorceries or that alternate casting cost. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a handful of those. I tend to not like those because I like my mana to be much more like free flexible. Yes, flexible is the, yeah. the correct word. So the other blue thing that we have to mention is Dreamscape Artist because Harrow is a monster of let a card. Me, let me ask real quick. You said Dreamscape Artist. WTF even is this card? <laughs> yeah. I, so, Harrow is just a, a monster of uh, an acceleration card. It's you know, yes. three mana, instant speed, sacrifice a land, search your deck for two lands, and put them into play untapped. Wild. So if one of the cards that you sacrificed was one of the lands you tapped, then uh, this effectively has only cost you one mana because mm -hmm. it's uh, well it costs you three and then you get two back which is right. crazy like that that's it's good rate that's a monster rate for because they come in untapped which is yeah. not and, and so so wizard so we have this card harrow which does this and wizards was like we should make a spell shaper that does harrow thing would it make sense <laughs> to put that in green 
And then Gavin showed up and he's like, what if it was blue? Like <laughs> He just kicked in the door like, what if it was blue, guys? Right. <laughs> just came in through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. It's like, blue needs this. Blue gets all the good things. And everyone's like, Harrow is green. What are you? Are you, are you on drugs? And he's like, to blue. And they're like, all right. So now. Yes, sir. Blue has the spell shaper for Harrow. And it's a, it's a two mana, one, one creature. That lets you pay three mana, discard a card, sacrifice a land, search a deck for two lands, and put it into play. Yep. Yeah. Just turns any card in your hand into Harrow, which is kind Crazy. of berserk. Yeah. Really good in a rune crab deck, if you guys have rune crab decks. <laughs> um, I think this is like the fourth episode in a row you've mentioned rune crab. I, like, I think you're on to something. I don't mean to. It just like, it's <laughs> it pops up over and over again. Like, it's such a I stupid... Like, of course, we have been talking about I lands. I feel like lately. you should yeah. sponsor the uh, CPDH rune crab deck. I, I have a CPDH rune crab deck, might. yeah. I've, I've oh, thought about no, submitting it goodness. to the, the deck list. Yeah, the, the what's the triads thing? The compendium database. The database. Compendium. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought about submitting it to the compendium, but it's it's really it's stupid. It's I've I've. <laughs> it's really. St- that's going to be the reply. What this is really stupid. I have <laughs> I have won competitive games with Rune Crab. I had I had a competitive game mm. once where like I was playing against the Tetiova, and the Tetiova started to go infinite, <laughs> and I was looking at their loop, and their loop was they could. They could, as many times as they wanted to, gain a life and draw a card. Sure. Mm-hmm. But they, but it wasn't mana positive. And I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> draw. Like, I had, I'm sitting there with three counter spells in my hand. I was like, draw as many cards as you want, bud. <laughs> like, <laughs> just tell me when you stop. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm on rune crab. I don't care. Like, <laughs> that's, that's your own <laughs> life total you're burning through there. <laughs> like, uh-huh. so yeah, I, I won that game. It was wild that's hilarious but yeah no i've 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 brought rune crab to competitive games that's uh, very silly <laughs> um so yeah blue has uh these a bunch of these wizards that i don't like much and then dreamscape artists which i like a lot uh i will say yeah and then we have like val from oh Baldur's val. Gate that yeah is such a enigma i i did a quick scryfall search for those wizards and the first yeah. one to ever pop up was the homunculus dude in eldritch moon and then we got Voldalian Arcanist in Core 21, which yeah. just taps for a colorless that can be used on instants and sorceries. Uh, the first one of its type was the Kaldheim one to do foretell. And then we got the Homunculus in Innistrad 3 for uh, Disturb. And then the Kicker one for Kicked Spells didn't actually show up until Dominaria United. Huh. I was in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, the Kicker one from Zendikar Rising. But no, no, no. It's Zendikar. Uh, sorry, not Zendikar. Dominaria from six months ago, not Zendikar from two and a half years ago. Huh. Yeah. Huh. We have... I, I kind uh, of did that, too. There's a there's an Eldrazi one that will... Um... Yeah, that's the homunculus from Eldritch Moon. On no, the back there's... face, it's an Eldrazi, and... No, there's... One less. No, there's a, there's a Cultivator drone that will tap to add a mana for uh, a colorless spell or a colorless permanent interesting yeah the... you know, we actually have a green spell shaper that lets you discard a card and all it does is wild it, utopia sprawls one of your lands until the end of turn or wild growth your land until the end of turn yeah you would think that's be the one that harrows but there's so og the blue one og masks block had silverglade pathfinder which is the spell shaper that rampant growths it's an uncommon and Blake has that deck built, and it is wildly entertaining. 
Uh, Which one is that? It's called Silverglade Pathfinder. Yeah, I I love that deck a lot because it's like when you when you build the whole deck around like rampant growthing every single turn, and then uh-huh. also you get to do like madness things and flashback things in mono green. <laughs> like it's it's weird. Like escape. Like just discard voracious typhon <laughs> into this like rampant growth every and bring turn. Bring it back way sooner than you should. Right. Have. Yeah. Like it's, it's a really interesting deck. <laughs> but yeah. I've nice. I've talked about blue for a really long time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pass things back to Brad here, so he can tell <laughs> us about black. How's yeah? Well, how's black gonna ramp us? We got a little bit in black. We've got we've also got a um, a spell shaper. We got bog witch, which is part of that Mercadian mass cycle. It is two generic and a black for one one. Pay a black, discard a card from your hand, and it dark rituals. So it's not permanent ramp it's not putting lands into play it's not tapping mana itself like you have to have cards in hand to do this you can't get yourself hellbent you know but that's one of the few things we have we also have things like soldevi adnate that you can sacrifice another creature to add black mana equal to its casting cost that sort of thing black is very much like the other things black does in this game it is very specific or very stubborn about what it wants to let you do you know like for the spell shaper you have to have cards in hand for the adnate you have to have other creatures on board the only one that's even sort of semi-useful and it's actually kind of fun because the back in the day and there's four different arts for this card in fallen empire and that was basil thrall you can sacrifice it to we got to tap and sacrifice it to add two black mana to your mana pool so it's a mm, sort of dark ritual on a body it's only a one-time use it's not a mana dork or anything like that it's not not um you can't repeat the process but that's generally what we have it's basically black is sort of in between um black's ramp is in between rituals and mana dorks like a lot of their mana can be be produced by creatures if you meet other requirements if you meet other um, steps along the way so there's not a ton black a lot like white you're gonna have to focus a lot on your rocks we got infernal idol which is nice that new one from jumpstart that's very nice very very much helped out mono black decks but other than that you know you're going to use your big colorless rocks your Honored heirlooms, your bounders ornaments, your guardian idols, all that sort of thing. Pretty much most mono black decks I've seen that try to be competitive run an inordinate amount of mana rocks. Uh, Especially like Everflowing Chalice, just anything that will help typically pay the extra commander tax because a lot of mono black commanders are very threatening, so they die a lot. (laughs) So we need something to help with that commander tax. So ton of rocks, you know... I talked about the Adnate and the Bogwitch and the Basil Thrall and all that stuff. I can't tell you what decks run them because they're just not very good. They're fine. They're fine for one-time use creatures. Maybe if you have can, a way to loop them or, or bring them back, that sort of thing. What were you going to say? I can tell you exactly which decks run Soldevi, Adnate, and Basil Thrall. Okay, do it. I need to know. Decks piloted by Sir Conrad the Grim. Okay, I can see that. My Yargle deck also runs them. Oh, Conrad oh, and Yargle. To ramp out, it did. To ramp out the Yargle? Yeah. Um, Shira used. What they get cut for? Uh, it's it's in limbo right now. So I think that Soldevi will make it back in the deck, but I don't know that Basil Thrall will. Oh, okay. Uh, but Shira also used both of them. Excellent. Yeah, and I was gonna build a Lazotep Chancellor deck, and that could use Bogwitch, you know, because it discards and then it helps you pay for the extra one to amass two and that sort of thing. So very specific uses, kind of like you were talking about with the bursts. 
but overall black just doesn't have a ton it's got ways to generate its own color of mana right away and in very small chunks so you kind of need to know what to do with it that's all i really got for black am i missing something here with the uh with the black slice of the pie no i don't think so i don't think so either i, I go ahead should we talk about bubbling muck there's, that I guess, is one I looked at earlier when we were doing the show I, notes. I guess we didn't talk about high tide and blue, so we could probably skip bubbling muck and black. That's fair. I think we've high. Yeah, we've we've, <laughs> we've said their names. Their names are now in part of the show. We can we can move yeah, on. There we go. <laughs> right. Bubbling muck is three dollars. Wow, really? Yeah, three dollars and twenty two cents. I'm waiting for them to downshift rain of filth. That's really what I want. Which one is that? It's an Urza Saga uncommon for a single black mana instant. It says all of your lands have the ability sacrifice for a black. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and it's cool how like at higher rarities, black has really good ways to add a shitload of mana to your mana pool. Yeah. Just not really at common. <laughs> yeah. Or or a ton of black mana specifically to your mana pool. Just not not so much uh, at the common level. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple. There's a couple cute, like sacrifice a creature to get its mana value in black. Like sacrifice, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some kind of offering. And there's like dark ritual, cabal ritual, that sort of thing. Tons, but... tons of burst mana stuff. Yeah, exactly. Black. black That's kind of where. Go ahead. Black used to be the color of burst mana before wizards figured out the color pie and moved it into red. It was black for yeah, a long time. Yeah, it's funny time. because with how grindy black decks or black X decks are, they had a lot of like you said, they had a lot of burst mana for being such slow decks, and then they figured it out and. They don't get that anymore. Yeah. Back. But the color that does get a lot of burst mana is red. What do you think, Liam? You yeah. some red ramp for us? When you're in red, you have two options, uh, burst mana and mana rocks. Red does not <laughs> have a lot of ramp spells like green does. It does not have all of the little sacrifice goodies that black does uh, from the good old days of magic. And it doesn't even have the uh, WTF heroes that blue gets. All it mm-hmm. gets are the mana rocks that white also has access to, that all the other colors have access to. And there's bust mana. Uh, we, we mentioned some of them earlier. Pyretic rit- Ritual, uh, the Goblin Ritual that I'm going to keep calling the Goblin Ritual, Mana Geyser, and... Oh, gosh. I, I can't I can't name them all. Someone help me out here. What are we naming? Red Rituals. Uh, Pyretic seething Ritual, song. Desperate Ritual, Rite of Flame, Seething Song, Mana Geyser, uh, vol- yeah. Vessel of Volatility. All of, mm, all of yeah, these things. Yeah, I forgot things, about that cycle. All of these things, if you're into them, are red rep spells. I, I'm going to air the same caution from earlier where be careful as to how you're using these because you want them to help enable stuff, but you don't want to be relying them on them as the main source of ramp in the deck. It will not work out for you. Yes, that is very good advice. You, you need to be very cautious with these. The way I've learned to play them in PDH, the singleton format, is... I want my deck to be able to function without them so that when I win or if I draw into them, they are just like a, a nice bonus. Yeah, exactly. Because if I rely on them, it's going to fail. Yep, you hit for that me right anyway. on the news. Yeah. Like, nothing nothing feels worse than, like, trying to seeding song your five-mana commander out on turn three and then just having it catch a Doomblade. And you're like, well, <laughs> all right. I just wasted two cards. Awesome. And, and now my commander costs seven. <laughs> Like yeah, now it costs seven. Well, now right. that's just mana guys's turn, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is a good plan. I like it. All right, I think uh, Green's up next. Oh, is that me again? It sure is. Sure is. Back to you. All right. 
Let's get into green. Everybody knows green mana dorks exist. They're all over the place. They're typically elves, land of war elves, elvish visionary, elvish mystic, land of war visionary, all these other ones that I, I probably just made up. Uh, they tap for green. They tap for double green. Sometimes they um, there's Secura Tribe Spring Collar that just adds a green to your mana pool, every upkeep, that sort of thing. There's Arbor Elf, Quirion Ranger, on and on and on. Like The list is forever long about elves that provide mana in in our uh, format so i don't think we have to go into every single one of those just know that they exist and i don't know if it was the same for for you two but coming from 60 card popper to pdh it was a very hard lesson to learn like the the mana dorks the elves specifically are like format staples in 60 card popper and then i bring them over here and it's like they almost feel bad if that makes sense like they're just not as good I guess it's because we don't have the you can't have the density of them. I don't know what it is, but they're just not as impressive in this in a hundred card singleton format. What do you think, Dave? Uh, what do you think of the mana dorks? I I'm always really like nervous about mana dorks. Like I think I think across my ninety ish PDH decks, I don't I honestly don't think I have Llanowar elves in any of them. And the reason is that Yeah, I can see that. I'm I get really squirrely about my dorks dying to pestilence. Yeah. Like I when I when I when I play a rock, I don't want it to be like on the battlefield. I just want to tuck it away in my mana zone, like with just stack it up with all the lands that I tap and like I don't I don't want to have to worry about it like dying to like incidental collateral damage when someone hits a board wipe. Like that just feels bad. Right. Like, and two, like if you spend, you know, if you spend turns one through three or four just dropping mana dorks, at some point you're going to have to block. At some point these these opposing yeah. creatures are going to come at you and you're going to lose your mana dorks that you didn't get to use. <laughs> like like it, it just feels bad sometimes. We have, you know, in, in in other formats they have this like very ubiquitous saying like bolt the bird. Like people mm -hmm. people will kill your rocks. Like no one says abrade the signet. Like I don't, I don't know why signets just feel so much safer than 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 mana dorks to me. Like we both, they really do. Yeah. Like no one tries to counterspell your signet. No one tries right. to blow up your, you know, and like whatever pro ring. Probably no one's going to counterspell a a, a land war elf either. But like I, pestilence is everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's the fact that the creature gets taken out by single target removal and also mass removal, whereas the mana rock only gets taken out by single target removal and even then people have to really want to take out a signet like yeah exactly they have to go out of their way to blow up your mana rock there right? tend to be better artifacts in play like i generally speaking i would rather blow up any given random equipment than any given random mana rock and i think the only real exception would be like if my opponent's playing a three color deck and the only way they can produce black is on that one mana rock i am blowing up that mana rock a hundred percent gonna cut them off a of color. Yeah, that's um, fair. But even then, like that's also like they have to have been stuck on like that's the early black source for three tons. I'm gonna cut them off black now because you know they they clearly haven't been able to get another source and and that kind of like kneecaps them a little bit, but also keeps them in the game. Yeah, and yeah. it's you know I've run into it too where like I'll I'll play an early mana dork a one mana you know land of war elf elvish mystic whatever yeah and then player you know i'll be player one and then player three will drop some random red creature that when the etbs it does one damage to a single creature yep. you know yep and yep. i have the only creature i'm like well hey, sh there goes my entire turn like i yeah. just got time walked <laughs> 
It's crazy. Yeah, no, they, like it's crazy how fragile they are. Like we still have enough to like fill an entire deck full of mana dorks, but for some reason it just feels worse. Yes. Here. Yeah. If I'm on non-green, like I have a I have a a mono black deck that for for undisclosed reasons needs about twenty six pieces of ramp. Um, in addition to mm-hmm. its forty lands. <laughs> <laughs> in that deck, the my my desperation for rocks is deep enough that I've I've gone into the lead mirror. Mm. Like I want I want so many rocks oh, yeah. that I'm I'm, I'm scraping yeah. I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'm, I'm finding finding the finding the <laughs> lead mirror. Like I'm like that's that's fine. I, I'll you know when 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 you need it, it's there. Like if you're in green, uh-huh. like if if you're in green if you're on the elf plan great run the elves the elves are outstanding with with elf tribal synergies if you just sure. if you just want ramp like if i mean i guess there's there's cases to be made for land war elves and stuff like sigil captain just cuz like late game it's a sure. one mana 3/3 three, three, and that's fine right uh but like i think i think as general purpose generic ramp i'm i'm very low on land war elves land war visionary is a powerhouse that that's a beast. I love that it. card. That's goes in everything because like even if it yeah it really does. Even if it catches a fiery cannonade, you're like whatever. Like it replaced itself. Like you're yeah. You're, I'm not even worried. Your about fiery it. cannonade didn't replace itself. Idiot. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> this is totally fine. Yeah, it drew me a card. It kept at least one opponent from attacking me. Yeah, so I'm fine. Vis- Take it. Visionary yeah, is it. outstanding. But like yeah, the yeah. Land War Elves by itself, I'm I'm not super enthusiastic about. Um, yeah, and like yeah. the. the uh, Arbor Elf, Korean Ranger, you, you need to have a really solid strategy or package while you're using those types of creatures that affect your lands or untap your creatures or what have you. Yeah. Quiron so. yes. Ranger goes really hard. That's the one that bounces a forest to untap a creature, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I have that in stuff like the Leafkin Avenger. Is a is a deck the the Leafkin Avenger is a four mana four three that taps to add uh, mana for every creature you control with power four or greater. It's like oh yeah, this, uh-huh. this one card can consistently tap for like five mana, and like just being able to untap <laughs> it. Like yeah, I'll I'll bounce the tapped forest to untap this for five more mana, and then I'll play the forest and tap it for another mana. Like <laughs> <laughs> the fireballs get out of hand. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and that's that's a very specific use, and that's it's really good there, you know. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, okay, I'm playing blue green. I need Land of War Elves and Elvish Mystics and Korean Rangers and Arbor Elves. Like maybe half of that amount, or maybe just one of those is fine. Is what I'm beginning to learn anyway. Because there's just so much. I feel like a, a one mana green mana dork feels like it takes up way more slots than just one slot. Like it feels like it really puts a, a weight on the deck that some decks just aren't prepared to handle. Yeah. You know. Anyway, I think we dumped on the elves long enough. <laughs> the next little subsection here in green is something Dave affectionately called Hella Fetch. And it's not fetch lands. We kind of talked about that a few episodes ago. This is about going to get lands out of your deck and put some into play, put some into your hand, that sort of thing. And we have a handful of these spells, things like Cultivate, Kodama's Reach, Grow from the Ashes, Ranger's Path, Sky Shroud Claim. They will all get you at least one mana on the ba- or one land onto the battlefield and one land, sometimes one or more into your hand. Perfect ramp. Like this is these are probably the cards where ramp well, I guess rampant growth, but you know, 
these are why we call it ramp. Like they ramp you lands onto the battlefield to where you go from three lands on turn three to six lands on turn four or five lands on turn four. This is what puts you ahead of the curve. It's what puts you ahead of your opponents. And I don't know that a lot needs to be said about these cards. They're pretty generically good in my opinion. I don't run them all. I'll usually pick, you know, Cultivate and Primal Growth or Grow from the Ashes and uh, Colony Heart Expedition, that sort of thing. It's not, I haven't seen a deck yet. I'm sure there, sure there is one because we have a million possibilities, but I haven't seen a deck yet that wants every single one of these because typically once you draw one or two, you've ramped enough that your deck can do what it's trying to do. And maybe that's just the types of decks I build. What do you think, Dave? Is there just like a super duper uber ramp deck that needs all of these? Yes. Ooh. What is it? Vichagazi Guildmage. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I gotcha. When, quick, quick story time. Uh, years and years ago, when I was just getting into PDH, I really sort of disliked the colors green and white. I was very much a Grixis mm-hmm. player. Uh, but I I started on this quest to build. I was gonna build a PDH deck for each color combination, and so when it came to building the deck that was both green and white, my at my then two least favorite colors, I was like, I don't want to put any effort into this. I'll just like, here's a here's a Guzzi Guild Mage, 99 lands. That's it. That's the deck. <laughs> like, because because <laughs> whatever. Like, <laughs> you get to six mana, you make a centaur, and then you just make more centaurs forever. Like, yeah, forever. Yeah. yeah. It's so like that was and like what what do you get? You're gonna kill my guild mage? Like I can probably recast it that turn. I'm gonna recast it every turn, right? So I every, like, every single turn. So I, I like I played around with that. <laughs> like I played a game and I was like, this is actually really fun. So I I rebuilt the deck. <laughs> I I cut the mana base down from 99 cards to 66. <laughs> so it's still by a third. I, that's impressive. Yeah, it's still like I think it's 47 lands and something like 20 ramp spells. Oh no! Uh, and yeah, like I, I run all of these: cultivate, Kodamas, grow from the ashes, Ranger's path, sky shroud claim, primal growth, far wanderings, Colony heart expedition, <laughs> like all of it. So uh, you're specifically making like four tokens a turn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. at like, least yeah. I'm hitting hitting land drop number sixteen is crucial. <laughs> like <laughs> that's where you need to be. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, that's where the sweet spot is. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm. There's only 33 like actual non mana spells in the deck, but they're they're good, and you want you want to be able to make three tokens and still cast one of them in a turn cycle. So yeah, that's amazing. That is good to know. Yes, there's. So yeah, I know of I know of one deck that wants all of these. Yeah. <laughs> I remade another version of that deck with Child of the Pack which mm-hmm. is a green-red card that does almost the same thing. So the, the Vichigaza Guildmage lets you spend four mana to proliferate. Or not proliferate, populate. So you just get another populate. token. Mm-hmm. Usually a 3-3 three, yep. three centaur token. Uh, Child of the Pack lets you pay four mana to just create a 2-2 two, two wolf. But it's red-green. Right. And uh, I, I made a version of that deck. I, I kind of did the same thing where I just started with like 40 lands and I was like, I'm going to put in like, you know, 25 ramp spells or whatever i i wanted that deck to feel and play differently so i in in that deck only i went really hard on mana dorks so like all of its ramp spells are bodies because sometimes rarely legend has it i've never seen this happen but legend has it (laughs) child of the pack has a backside and that side is a bit of an anthem i seem Uh, to remember that when the card was spoiled yeah so long ago yeah i i i 
like I said, I've never seen it. I think it might it could just be a myth, but <laughs> according <be. laughs> to rumors, there's a backside of the card. And uh, so, like, even in that deck, though, I, I focused pretty much exclusively on uh, dorks with butts. Mm-hmm. So, like, I still didn't go in for Llanowar Elves. I was on, like, you know, the Rose Thorn Acolytes, which is, like, a 2-3 mana dork. Uh, there's, like, a sure. there's a Dawn Heart something from one of the Innistrad sets. It's, like, a 2-4 mana dork. Like, I, I, I went in for, you know, Andu Giant and Silverglade Elemental and, uh, yeah. you know, the the... the land fetching bodies so like i wanted them all to have bodies so that when i was finished ramping i could turn them sideways and declare a really big attack because red also gets all the trumpet blast effects and stuff so yeah and those and that's one thing i've come to to sort of appreciate more than your early drop mana dorks is the the uh the fetches that come on bodies like you said wood elves onto giant that sort of thing they just they feel better like no matter they could you know that wood elves could die as soon as it ETBs, but you got the land forever out of it. Yes, you essentially got infinite mana off that wood elf. No matter what happens after that, you know there are times where, like we mentioned, your mana dorks may never get to tap. Like you may never get a mana out of them before they die or become frozen or what have you. I like the fact that you can flicker the uh, the fetch bodies, wood elves, and all that kind of stuff. They're a little beefier. They're a little more expensive, obviously, for their effect and their body and that sort of thing. But um, Silverglade Elemental is another really good one. And I think those are just overall a little better than Mana Dorks. But I think they're a little more versatile, a little more universal. But they definitely have their place as well. For sure. My favorite thing about green, the land auras we have in green, like Wild Growth, uh, Utopia Sprawl, Grafted Growth, Urban Burgeoning, Sheltered Area, these are all ones that will make you mana positive when you tap it. Some of them, we we have a ton of them that are cheap, one mana, land aura, throw it down, but that they're usually just fixers, like Abundant Growth. I already forgot the one I looked at earlier, but they're cheap. They go down you know, quick. They may even cantrip or gain you some life, that sort of thing, but typically all they're going to do is fix your mana, and they're not going to put you ahead on mana where... Uh, Wild Growth adds another one. Utopia Sprawl adds another one. Grafted Growth, I believe, add, adds two more. Like, that sort of thing. That's what you're looking for in a land aura. And my personal favorite one is Overgrowth. It's two and a green. And um, when you tap the Enchanted Land for mana, it provides two additional green. It's like a super-duper Wild Growth. And I've only come into that one sort of recently because, I, I don't know, my deck-building kink lately has been, like, huge commanders like five six seven eight mana commanders and i'm trying to get them out as early as possible if not a single turn earlier than normal and overgrowth really does a lot of work in decks like that it's huge and the fact that it produces green mana specifically is very helpful if you need to get into a interaction war or a stack war with your tetiova's not tetiova uh, Tamiyo safekeepings, your Rangers guiles, that sort of thing. So it's very helpful. It's very good ramp. It's it's probably my favorite. It's in every every single deck that has green. I've put overgrowth in like Thrakus and Mr. Orfeo and Herd Bailoth and just anywhere that I can slam it, I'm slamming it because if I'm playing green, I'm probably playing stuff that's too expensive to cast on a normal mana curve, just doing single land drops. So do you have a particular favorite out of these here, Liam, or do you even play land auras? I don't play land auras too often. I, de- I definitely don't play them in, in upwards of four and five color decks because at that point you should just be running uh, fixers in a lot of rocks. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
Monocolor decks, I tend to not run them. Like in mono green decks, I tend to not run them because I'm just running a lot of the sorceries. So my two and three color decks is why I run them the most. Uh, you will definitely catch me running wild growths and utopia sprawls in my in my uh, green X decks. Mm-hmm. Anything past that, it tends to have to have another ability like gain life or counters that I care about. Uh, in which right, case, yep. they will end up in my deck. Overgrowth, I I can definitely see the role of it in like five six plus mana commanders that are that are green. Mm-hmm. I just don't happen to have any of those. Sure, that's fair. And you know, too, not like yet. wild growth is just. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it's just a better land of war elf. Like, it doesn't die necessarily. It's as hard to take out as an artifact is, but it produces the mana all the time that you need. So, I've come around a lot to the the um, the bigger bodies that ETB and grab you land and the land auras. So, yeah, that's my two cents on those. But I think that's what green has: cheap mana dorks, land auras, some bigger bodies that ETB and grab you stuff, and then some all around universal excellent ramp spells that see play in every format that they're legal in. Basically, oh yeah, that's why like Kodama's Reach will always be two or three bucks, and Cultivate will always be over a dollar. That sort of thing because they're just yeah. good. It's funny um, that you should that you should mention Cultivate being good because in EDH hands down it makes it into every single one of my green x decks without a question mm-hmm. now that that's that's cultivate or kadama's reach whichever one i just happen to have on hand uh sure most of my green x decks have in in the past have had both but some of them you know i, I had to cut like a ramp spell and, and one of them got the boot and and rampant growth is is pretty universal in all my green x decks in edh I've, I've never cut a rampant growth but in pdh i find it difficult to include anything much past rampant growth like i put rampant growth in and cultivate and Kadama's reach just don't don't do it. I'd rather just play the nature's laws and the three visits and I am kind of the same way too. Mana. I'd rather put one extra nature's lore type or three visits, yeah. you know, uh, rampant growth but sort of thing than than the three mana versions. Yeah, part of that is all my green X commanders in in EDH have have always been pretty hefty on the mana, uh, or they come down late in the game and. All my green X commanders in PDH have always been uh, three or four mana, where at that point, Cultivate and Kadama's Reach either aren't ramping my commander out a ton early, or they conflict with that three mana slot where the commander sits. And that's a good point. Just, yeah, I just I think that the naturally the naturally lower curve of the format just encourages me to not play those cards, even though they are just objectively good. What do you think, Dave? What's your opinion on like your your nature's lore, three visits, rampant growth, that sort of thing? The cheaper ramp spells. It depends uh, enormously on what my commander's mana cost is. Okay. Uh, so like in in rabid wombat, I've <laughs> rabid wombat costs four. So uh-huh. ideally, I want to hit a ramp spell on turn two and then cast the wombat on turn three. Uh, so for that, like cultivate Kodama's reach are are no good. They don't they don't do what I want them to do. So instead of those, I'm on rampant growth, nature's lore, uh, farseek. No, not farseek. That doesn't work in mono green. Steve, those those guys. The, the strictly the two mana ones. Um, if mm-hmm. I need to hit a five mana commander on turn four, that's when I'll hit the the cultivates and the Kodamas. Or like more, I guess more broadly, like if I want a lot of mana then I'll then the cultivate and the kodamas will are are much better for me uh so something like um okame ranger is one where where I will I will choose the the two mana things because I don't need a ton of mana I just need I need to get 
up to a point, just enough. and then and then I'm all set. I can like focus on other spells, but something like um, Sultai Soothsayer uh needs sure. to be doing a lot of stuff with his mana a lot of the time. So that one that one yeah, will have like the very the bigger ramp very spells. mana intensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I know we're um getting a little long. We got a little bit more show to get through. I, j I just thought of this one too. What are your well, we don't have to go super deep into it, but what are y'all's th thoughts on like coiling oracle or growth spiral, those sort of things. Explore where you can play an additional land but it cantrips sort of thing. What do you think of those? Do you um, play those a lot? Are they quote unquote good? Or are they just fun? I I think in terms of coiling Oracle specifically, it is just a, a very nostalgic fun card for a lot of people. And I can see any excuse to put it in a blue green deck. Okay. Uh, but for that, for that effect in general, uh, you really need to be on some kind of land strategy. Uh, you need to be lands matters or landfall or just caring about ramping a bunch because other than that i i've had those types of creatures burn me too many times where i didn't have a land to play mm -hmm. and that just feels bad so either the, yeah. the decks that the, it, it can't the get decks you that care about bad. yeah the, the the decks that care about lands that have a critical mass and or the decks just draw you a ton of cards where you're going to have a land in hand those i can also see an excuse for that being in there Okay, so you don't think they're just like generically good, like oh, I'm playing Simic, I should have Growth Spiral, that sort of thing. Correct. That's okay. just that's just my opinion. But they end up in a lot of Simic decks because Simic decks tend to care about lands. It, it, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Dave? Overwhelmingly, I agree with Liam, but I will say that I I do have one deck that I put Explore into that was very different from the situation Liam just just described. And that mm -hmm. is uh, my first black green deck I put together was Quill Spike, and this was in like 2014 before combos were like a, a an actual thing. But my uh -huh. Quill Spike deck was trying to be a combo deck. I knew that if I hit Devoted Druid, or that if I hit Cinderhaze Wretch, or if I hit uh, a Persist creature and a Sack Outlet, I knew that I could make Quill Spike really really big. Mm -hmm. And so in this deck, I wanted. I wanted to ramp a bit, but I really, what I really wanted out of my ramp was flexibility to late game, like when I didn't need the ramp, I wanted my ramp spells to instead just draw me cards and dig. So for me, like explore, for me, explore was essentially like a rampant growth that cycled. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like, you know, er early game, like if I had, sure. if I have the land in my hand, I'll draw a card, like I'll, I'll put the land into play from my hand and I'll draw a card and like, I will have replaced that. And it's functioning just like a rampant growth essentially. Uh, right. Or like late game, like if I don't have the land in my hand, like I'll still be very happy to play the card just, just for the cycling. Yeah. Cause it's basically two mana cycle, which is yeah. the cycling cost anyway yep. of other And stuff. like if I, if I, if I don't hit the land drop off it, like I'm not sad. Because I just want the card draw. So like that that deck also run ran weird ramp like um Edge of Autumn. Sure. Is the mm -hmm. the two mana rampant growth, but it only land fetches if you have four or fewer lands. But it right. cycles <laughs> it cycles the cycling cost is sacrifice a land. Yeah, it's a very strange card. Really weird card. Like early game it's a rampant growth, late game it's a sacrifice a land to draw a card cycling effect. But like that's what the deck wanted. The deck wanted ramp early and it wanted card draw late. So things like Edge of Autumn and Explore fit into the deck really well at the time. 
Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Generically, like I don't, I, I put, I end up putting growth spiral in a lot of decks where it doesn't really belong just because the art is gorgeous. I know. Like, same way. Yeah. Like I recognize that it's not a great card, but it's, it's a, it's a pretty okay card and it's beautiful. So like, that's good enough. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's the epitome of Simic. Like it's really nice to look at and it's generally okay in most situations. Yeah. Like there's there's better ramp spells I could and probably should be playing, but I don't play them because yes. they weren't illustrated by uh, Seb. So, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to our last color, which is not actually color. Looks like Dave has an enormous list of colorless ramp I'm gonna, for us to talk about. I'm going to talk to you about how you're going to ramp in a colorless deck, which is Scaretiller. We're talking about Scaretiller. Uh, I am contractually obligated to mention this card at least seven times per episode. Otherwise, Sniff uh-huh. is going to come hunt me down and sue me for breach of contract. And I don't want to yeah, put I told either you not of us... to sign that, but... I, I had no choice. But, so yeah, we're talking about Scaretiller. Uh, Scaretiller, even in a colorless deck... So, like, par- part of this is colorless ways to ramp, and that's uh, Scaretiller. Arcane Signet's great. Uh, Bonders Ornament, obviously. Part of it is how do you ramp in a colorless deck? And Scaretiller still does some work in colorless decks. You can do Scaretiller loops with uh, Terramorphic, E-Wilds, Warped Landscape is great in a colorless deck. Terminal Moraine. Like, Scaretiller just goes with all these cards really well. Wayfarer's Bauble used to be prime real estate. I used to put this card in literally everything. It's like a... It really did, yeah. It's like a rampant growth, kind of, a little bit, if you squint your eyes and hold it sideways. <laughs> it's a... Effectively, it's a three-mana rampant growth. And, like, I... When I would put it in decks, I was evaluating it as a two-mana rampant growth because I was thinking, like, you can... You, you pay you pay your one-mana for it on turn one, and you weren't going to do anything else with that mana anyway. And then you hit your two-mana, and you use it to rampant growth, to sacrifice it. But yeah. then I'm, like, I'm so many times I've drawn it late game and late game. It's a three mana rampant growth and like three mana is way too much for a rampant growth. And like, there's, there's a little bit of value out of just having, being able to keep that mana up for a turn cycle and then mm-hmm. hitting the rampant growth at instant speed at the end of a turn cycle when you didn't need the mana, but like not enough value for it to be worth it. So, uh, arcane signet has really kind of just pushed wayfarers bubble out of, contention for serious play and i'm pretty okay with that except in colorless decks in a colorless deck arcane signet is useless <laughs> yep legitimately it does not useless. give you any mana <laughs> nope. it's just it's literally just a rock that just sits there take it out of your colorless decks put in wayfarer's bubble yes. um yeah that's uh that's all i really wanted to say about colorless uh play bonders ornament play scare tiller play network terminal and Get your mana rocks. Get your mana rocks that may care about other mana rocks, that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, you can also, I think for the most part of this episode, we've been talking about ramp mana acceleration, if you will, in the 99. But we can also put it in the command zone. Is that right? You can put some Big ramp Big time, in the too. Like, it, it's quite the payoff. Sometimes. If you, it is very possible to build a deck with ramp in the command zone in such a way that that ramp goes really hard. Uh, I mentioned yeah. uh, Leafkin Avenger a little while ago. I actually hadn't even put that one in the show notes. It just sort of occurred to me because we mentioned Quirin Ranger. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, there's there's a handful of uh, uncommon creatures that are really, really massive mana dorks. I don't know. Do, do you guys have any of these built? Any any 
rampy, rampy boys in the command zone? Um, I just took Cormella apart, but I was not using her for her ramp. It was just for her colors. So okay. Techni- I, technically, I do, I do not, not have, have any of these built. I do not have any of these built. Okay. The close, the closest I come is I have a, a Lana deck, but I don't have an Elena deck. Okay. I I I'm just gonna talk about a bunch of them then. Yeah, go for you it. Go for it. Cradle <laughs> clear I've, cutter. I've played against your clear cutter deck, and it is yeah wild, just <laughs> wild. <laughs> I do love the clear cutter deck. Cradle clear cutter is one of the prototype artifact creatures from Brothers War that. It taps to add mana equal to its power, which is a really cool interaction with the prototype mechanic because its baseline stats as a 3-6, then it's tapping for 3 mana, or you can play it for its prototype cost and then it's just a 1-3 and it taps for 1 mana. Mm -hmm. But whichever one you do, if you start giving him axes, he will give you more and more and more mana. So if if you give this guy a great axe and a bone splitter, now he taps for seven. And if you untap him with a Quiron Ranger, now you have 14. And there's a lot you can do with 14 mana. Yeah, there was, <laughs> I think when I played against you, you had, I think you, I think you did have the Quiron Ranger. And I think you also played like Stony Strength or something where it puts a plus yep. one, plus one counter on it and you get to untap it. Yep. I, there's a bunch there of was those a, effects. There was at one point you cast, I think you were two or three spells deep into the turn and you still had like 36 mana either yeah. floating or available. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember that game. So like I, by the end of the game, I, I think I had Stony Strength and like Taunus's something in my hand, which is another one of those yeah. effects. It's two counters and untap it. And I just like I played both of them and I just kept tapping him for mana and putting more counters on him and untapping him and tapping him for mana again and like i didn't need to do any of it i just needed to move to a combat but i just wanted to show you that i had 30 mana available <laughs> so that i could let it all drain out of my mana pool as i moved to combat and then just kill you with an attack like it was pretty much yeah because he was huge he was like a 12 something like he yeah. was almost lethal commander damage on its own yeah he goes nuts <sighs> So, uh, Clear Cutter does crazy things. Uh, Leafkin Avenger is very similar, except instead of instead of tapping for how much mana his power is, uh, he taps for mana equal to the number of big creatures you have. So if you have a bunch of different four power creatures, Leafkin Avenger will give you a lot of mana. He is really, really interesting because he's also a mana sink. Mm-hmm. So he has an ability built in where for eight mana, he will damage a player equal to his power. So right. like he's he's like a free. You can also throw some axes on there. Yes, he also loves the axes. <laughs> I just put there's um the four Mirrodin axe. I just put that into that deck because that four Mirrodin axe is a four power creature, and then it makes the commander oh, bigger. Yeah, yeah. Like that's like the mm. perfect card for Leafkin Avenger. I'm really excited about that one. Not Vine Mystic is kind of boring. We probably shouldn't talk about it. It's it's just a really uninspiring <laughs> mana dork but it is three colors so if you're into that and it's naya naya's fun naya yeah naya's all right yeah elena is the other just massive absurd mana dork where she will she doesn't tap for mana equal to her own power like the clear cutter does she taps for mana equal to the greatest power among creatures you control that entered the battlefield this turn so it's very specific text, but very powerful. Very specific. So if uh, I, personally, I have her partnered with Brynolin, the Moon Kraken, mm-hmm. because Brynolin is an eight mana six power creature, and I I have this partnership just because I love doing st- like I'll just I'll tap seven lands for like you know 
spined Megalodon as a 5-7. And then it'll come in and Dragon Breath will automatically attach to give it haste. And then I'll tap (laughs) Elena for 5 mana and I'll just pour it all into Dragon Breath. And now I have a 10-powered Megalodon. And sometimes, (laughs) sometimes I will be able to untap Elena using a blue spell, and then now that the Megalodon has 10 power, I'll tap Elena for 10 more mana, and now I'll have a 20 power Megalodon. So, that feels exactly as good as it sounds. Yeah, if you're wondering with how... Haste, good, with haste, like, amazing. With haste. Dragon Breath, it's kind of nuts. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, the other the other really, really good mana ramp that you can put in the command zone is called Beanstalk Giant, which is really unique. Uh, Beanstalk Giant's from Eldraine. It is mm-hmm. an adventure... The adventure is sort of a, a rampant growth-ish effect. I think it's three mana to fetch a land, but it comes in untapped, I think. Correct. Yep, so, just right onto the battlefield. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's an it's an adequate rate for a ramp spell, and that's its adventure sure. cost. But then its creature side is a seven mana giant with power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the weird cases where like you probably want to send it like what you 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 cast the adventure on turn three to get your land, and then instead of sending it to the adventure zone and letting it stay in exile, you probably send it back to the command zone so that I just keep fetching so that next turn you can spend five mana to fetch again, and mm-hmm. then you're at seven and you can play it from from the four four seven from exile for its creature cost. Yep, that's fair. And then if it dies... Yeah, I don't you... think I've ever brewed around with Beanstalk Giant before. It's really... I'm always leery of those power and toughness are equal to yada, yada, yada commanders. This one's... But... The, the math on this one works out really well as long as you're hitting your land drops. Like, the, the three to five to seven, it just, like... It combos into itself in a really, like, clever way, I think. And the seven mana natural CMC is not, not too painful? No, no. I mean, you're. I mean, I guess not if you're ramping yeah, consistently. You're casting it on turn five every single game. Yeah, and if it if sense. it dies, you on turn six you ramp with it, and then you cast it for seven. You're always going to cast the creature for seven from exile, and if you're sure. if you're casting, yeah, the creature half should never be in the command zone. Yeah, or cast from the command zone. Yeah, and like the the that makes sense. The adventure half starts so cheap that you can play it a few times. Be like it's the 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 fourth time you cast it is when it starts to get like that's when it would cost nine mana mm-hmm. and like that's the point at which it starts to get like a lot but but at that point you've ramped four times <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah no it's just yeah it's kind of this, this ever-present threat like if you kill it i'm gonna ramp for cheap and then play the giant for seven like it's never going away kind of thing right so it's very fun the competitive kids will hunt me down and hurt me if I don't mention Lay Weaver, but I don't sure. like Lay Weaver, so I'm not going to actually talk about it. <laughs> I'm just going to check the box off. I said the words, Lay Weaver. You said the words, you are you have fulfilled your contract. Now we can move on. That's right. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Um, I think that pretty well covers the ramp without you know doing specific deck techs on different types of ramp decks, what you're going to do with the ramp, what creatures benefit from it, what commanders benefit from the ramp, that sort of thing. This is just sort of like, like we called the episode. It's just sort of a guide to what ramp is, how to use it, where it comes from. Obviously green, probably the best color we have for ramp, but that's just sort of the case in magic as a whole. So you just have to know what you're getting into with the colors, with the mana dorks, with the mana rocks, that sort of thing. I'll, I'll pose this question to you both. You know, do you just real quick, do you think 
is ramp sufficient in PDH outside of green? Like, I guess maybe not outside of green, but obviously green is great. We have lots of lots of ramp in green, but as a whole, do you think ramp is something that is productive or beneficial beneficial in in our format? Yes. Because sometimes sometimes I play and I'm just like, ugh, you know, it's turn ten. Why did I draw that overgrowth? I don't need you know <laughs> need sixteen like, mana. Look, look, that's just a bug of Highlander formats. That's not yeah. It's not a PDH specific thing. That's fair. That's fair. I have a bunch of decks that are honestly really excited to draw overgrowth turn ten, so that I can <laughs> I can cross that sixteen man threshold. Like, I yeah, my decks are like kind of I there's a very special place in my in my deepest inner heart of hearts for like the just big stupid brain dead massive. I'm I'm going to cast scaled worm and that's my whole plan. <laughs> like, and that's it. <laughs> I haven't thought I haven't thought beyond there, but like the scaled worm is coming. Like I but that is definitely happening. I, I love those decks, so yeah, I I love ramping. I ramp hard. No, I I definitely enjoy ramping. I just I I have figured out that the the decks I build that want to ramp really hard are the Thrakuses, are the herd bailoffs of the world, where once they're on the board, your game plan focuses solely on them. So once they're on the board, it feels bad to draw an overgrowth. It feels bad to draw a nature's lore when you should be casting aggressive spells or putting plus one, plus one counters on your commander, that sort of thing. So I need to like figure out a way to ramp to a certain point and then to get those out of my library. Have you considered Edge of Autumn? You did, yeah. You mentioned that to me in the Discord. And I think the next day, I've been twice to the LGS since we had that conversation or since you mentioned it to me. And one million cards at this LGS, they do not have an Edge of Autumn. Oh, I what? I haven't ordered it yet. Yeah, right? Uh, there's another... There's like a a bad ramp spell that cycles. It's like a three-mana ramp and growth with two-mana cycling. Like, if, if this is a consistent problem for you, I would, I would get that, and I would lean into, like, the Explore cards. Good deal. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I've definitely cut down the ramp quite a bit. I'm down to, like, pretty much just Wild Growth and Overgrowth, and then as many green draw spells as I can reasonably fit. Yeah, that sounds like a functional ramp package. All right, does that does that ramp up our ramp conversation? But we do have a listener question for the week, Liam, don't we? Uh, sure do. From Dakota in Discord, they want to know, what cards in PDH do you begrudgingly accept are good? What about them do you not like? I'll pass it off to you, Brad. Oh, back to me. All right, I got two... I think one will be obvious. The second one will be obvious. The first one is Dragon's Approach. I understand that it's good. I don't play any of them. Just, I don't know. There's something about it. I'm just like, yep, that's what it does. Here comes another one. You know, it maybe it's the, uh, you can have as many as you want in your library text that bothers me because they're just, if you play against a Dragon's Approach opponent, they either cast, cast zero or they cast nine. There's no in-between. You don't just see one or two of them. You see none of them because of variance, or you see all of them. And it's just repetition over and over and over again. You know when they're like, okay, untap, upkeep, draw, play a land, tap three mountains. You're like, okay, <laughs> here we go. So, But I understand it's good. It's very, very good in certain decks. Um, yeah, it's got its place. I just don't particularly care for it. And the second one on my list is Malcolm. 
Malcolm is so strong. It is so good. It partners with so many different commanders. I even have a Malcolm deck. It's just in the right shell or in the right player's hands, Malcolm can be oppressive. And I understand that. And I accept that it's good, but damn, it looks bad, you know, sitting across the table from me. So that's what I got. Dragon's Approach and Malcolm. Do you got any, Dave? What do you got? I do. So I've interpreted North Dakota's question cards I'd begrudgingly accept as good to mean cards that I don't like to play with, but Mm -hmm. I feel forced to include in my decks if I want that deck to be powerful. And for me, three... That's fair. Yep. Three cards immediately came to mind for me, and they are Counterspell. Uh, Not not the category Counterspells, the actual card named Counterspell. (laughs) Uh, I feel like there's... I, I, I recognize that it's just the best at what it does. A two, two mana for just counter any spell. No no frills, no strings, no bells, no whistles. Like that That's about the best just you can do. No. Yep. Uh, I just feel like it's really boring. And like when I want to play with counter spells, I would love to play with more interesting counter spells. Like I, I, I'm very happy to pay a couple more mana for like extra effects or uh, some modality. Like I think that there's a lot of more interesting counterspells that are just intrinsically worse, and I like playing with those more than I like playing the card counterspell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to include counterspell in the really good decks because I recognize it's the best. My second card is Oubliette. Uh, what a Ugh. what a waste of cardboard. What a <laughs> what a tragedy of functional errata. Yeah. Uh, they could have. They didn't. They didn't have to do us like this, but they did. And now they did us. They did us that way. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Ubliet's really good. Yeah, I I know. <laughs> That's why I hate it. <laughs> it's one of my uh, favorite cards. It is legit like one of the best cards in the format, and that's that's bothersome. Yeah. I I wish it were less good. At least it's got a color. At least it's got a color. Yeah. yeah that's true. That's true. Mm. You gotta be dedicated to cast it, but you're right it just feels bad all the time yeah uh the other card is one that i've been the the third card i want to mention is one that i've been like taking out a lot of my decks lately um and that's Mm -hmm. relic of progenitus i feel like for a while interesting one yeah i feel like for a while this card was just ubiquitous it was in every deck because like at worst it cycles Mm -hmm. right like there's no this is never a dead card it's always you know you can play you can pay one to have an artifact and you can sacrifice it to draw a card so it, i mean it always replaces itself at its very worst which is a great floor for a card to have and at best sure it just completely annihilates someone entire strategy <laughs> and at best it wins you the game at right worst it draws you a card <laughs> <laughs> like that's such that's such a good card and like i so many of my decks rely very sort of casually on the graveyard like i have a lot of yes. like discard decks where i want it. to be like i have flashback spells that i'll put into my di- my graveyard and i'll just use them later and like i have so many like things that are just like if, if my graveyard gets taken away it's like really irritating but i'm not going to lose the game over it and like the number of times that i just you know get really irritated by relic because it's everywhere like i've started taking it out of my decks because i want there are there are decks that are going to just fundamentally rely on the graveyard. Things like Ruination Rioter or Arumi, and like mm-hmm. I want them to have a chance. Like if someone sits down yes. at a table with me with Arumi, like I don't want them to be like, 
like, sorry, you idiot. Like, you don't get to do anything <laughs> ever. Like, you should have thought of that before Relic of Progenitus got printed. Stupid. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, if someone shows up with the auto with an auto Umi deck, I want to just, I want to see, I want to let them do things. I want to let them play the yeah, game and like see what happens for people to do things. Yeah. yeah. So like, I'll you know, and I think, I think Oubliette and Relic are really good choices here for this question because they are specific cards that you think about when building a deck like yeah okay i'm putting this deck together what if oubliette comes across exactly. the table what if relic like they may not be in your deck but you certainly have to worry about those two specific cards right like every time i build a black deck i'm like get better include feed the swarm because otherwise i lose yeah, to oubliette. exactly and it's like i don't want to have to think that every single time <laughs> but like here we are right <laughs> here we are, are these yep. cards are, are these cards staples Oubliette? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, define stable. Relic, feed the swarm. <laughs> I think they're like identifiers of the format, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I would say at competitive levels, they're definitely oh, yeah. staples. Counterspell, Oubliette, Relic, absolutely competitive staple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So those those are the three I wanted to talk about. I'm going to pass this over to Liam. We'll, we'll hear, we'll hear yeah, about Liam's um, salty, salty yeah, cards. Yeah, the things that I begrudgingly accept as part of the format are going to be tutors uh just across the board tutors this is going to i don't really know how to de how to define tutors because you could do broad strokes and be like anything that fetches something out of your library uh but then that includes ramp and i don't want to include ramp in that i want to say the things that go get an artifact of one or less so the things that go get an enchantment or the things that go get a card like those things irritate me because if you are including them, generally speaking, you have a few targets in mind that you are going to get nearly every time. Mm -hmm. And that kind of removes the random factor from gameplay that is expected in a singleton format. Yeah. If those cards are in your deck, it's because they are a second, third or fourth copy of a specific card. Exactly. In particular, I feel like in our format, the transmute cards are big offenders of this. Sure. You could make certain exceptions. Like, you could argue that, like, uh, Trinket Mage, while a very well-known uh, combo piece slash duplicate of certain combo pieces, could just be a way to fetch away Pharaoh's Bobble. You, right. But it's also a way to fetch that Relic of Progenitus. Usually and, it gets your Relic. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like, you know just just removing that random factor like i'd be okay if like you know i you know the way that i use trinket mage whenever i see it is i just touch the deck whatever the first one drop artifact i find is is the one that i'm fetching mm -hmm. and i like and, doing you a know and i play i usually have people on the on the saturday streams that are like oh, i'm gonna transmute for three let me just go see what i got like they don't have anything specifically in mind because the deck is tuned down. They're just like, yeah, let me well, go see what I can get. That that also irritates me. And it's it's nothing about the players. It's that these cards, when used properly, or 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 what's generally accepted as properly, sure, have one or two things they are getting. And if you are using them, or you get to a point in the game where like you, you've already seen their targets, they're in your graveyard, they're in your hand, and you don't know what else you can get with them. Mm -hmm. it adds a bunch of meaningless time to the game so sure. just generally mm -hmm. speaking i'm not a huge fan of tutors for a multitude for a multitude of reasons you will generally not catch me playing them unless the deck is intentionally spiky and competitive or 
I'm like, I run seven one-drop artifacts in this deck. Here's a trinket mage. <laughs> and whenever it happens, it's just going to be the first one I find when I'm searching yeah, the deck. The first one I like, get. Yeah, it's it's very literally like, I, I, I'm just not a huge fan of them. I will I will say that we all make an exception. Uh, you should run Demir House Guard in all of your decks so that you can tutor for Scaretiller. Booyah. It just makes sense. All right. It just makes sense. What's better than one scare tiller? Two scare tillers. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's a staple in my Aranus deck. So you can you can have Aranus and then you tutor for the scare tiller. Yeah, you you got to scare tiller your scare tillers so that you can you do tiller the scared. Yeah, you got to tiller the scare and scare the tillers. Yep. Whew. All right. I think I I pushed this a little longer than normal, but. Uh, is there anything you guys want to add to the ramp conversation? Anything we missed? Any cards that popped in your head while we were chatting about other stuff? Nope. If not, I'm going to move on in nope. to the Nothing outro. Here. Well, good deal. Good deal. Good deal. All right. We're going to get to a few more things before we wrap it up for the week as usual. If you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can email us. Uh, you can email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. That'll take you right to their Discord server. You can find Liam on Twitter at Popper Command. You can find me on Twitter at Popper underscore B. And literally everywhere else PDH is being talked about, you can find Dave as the Alcadron, even at 7-Eleven sometimes, I bet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put all the links down in the show notes. You can find us there and then um yeah i guess as, as this brings episode 36 of the pdh pod to a close we want to give a big thanks to mtg brad for letting us use their original music for the show and from all of us in here to everyone out there brew a deck fuel those manas and we'll see you in about a week peace cheers see ya i brought proper text at the party Next at the party.